you've hit play on The Screen Companion, a show about helping you to decide what to watch tonight. Here we are, another punching and kicking-tastic episode. We're doing martial arts tournament movies today. I was telling Pat about the movies we might do for this, and he said he hadn't seen any of them. Let's jump right into it. Pat, give us a little summary of 1973's Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon is Bruce Lee's final movie. The last movie that was filmed to completion before he died at the age of 32 wasn't released until after he died. The premise of the film is that Bruce Lee is an accomplished martial artist who's approached by British intelligence to infiltrate a martial arts tournament held on a private island in order to expose corruption, work as a secret spy agent. I think there's uh, prostitution and there's drug dealing are the corruption charges that they're leveling against this gentleman who owns this private island. So this was your first time watching a Bruce Lee film, Pat. Do you think the hype around Bruce Lee is justified just from watching this one? I would agree. He's a very talented martial artist, for sure. And John, what stood out about the martial arts in this to you? They talked about the philosophy of martial arts a lot, which I liked. I couldn't help but think every dude watching this in the 70s who was coked up probably came out of this thinking they knew also martial arts because of the way he talked about it. The martial arts itself didn't feel very flashy. It felt closer to believable than fantasy. But I thought the choreography in this and when we get to Bloodsport, the choreography suffers from that dramatic pause quando where it's like you're watching NPCs get stunlocked in a video game. I hit you. You freeze. Repeat until your health bar is empty and you fall down. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why is that guy pausing after he's been hit? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that definitely, um, I would say the choreography was definitely fascinating. I thought this was the best choreographed of the three films we watched, but there were definitely some question marks in there as well. I don't understand it because you had real martial artists in this movie and i believe the choreography was done by bruce lee yes why didn't they go at a faster tempo i feel like i read an article with bruce lee specifically talking about choreography in general and the audience can only really follow one guy attacking at a time and so you got to find a way to make it interesting and that one guy's attacking at a time like when he's in the underground prison or when he's just fighting all the bad guys at the end. As chaotic as it gets, only one guy attacks at a time. It's always one-on-one, no matter what. No disrespect to Bruce Lee's ghost. (laughs) But this is the year 2023. We've had a ton of fast-paced action movies with incredible choreography. I think he was just a product of his time. He was wrong. Pat, do you think he was wrong about that? Um action movies were definitely filmed differently. Like there's a lot of dialogue in between. There's a lot of downtime. And then there's a few action scenes, whereas now it feels like action movies just tend to be two hours of explosions, Michael Bay style. Since this episode is about tournaments, do you think the tournament in Enter the Dragon makes sense? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. There's no rhyme or reason to it. 
Did they ever say what the top prize is for the fighters? Like, what did uh, John Saxon's character expect to get from winning? They don't even do much around the tournament, like, welcome to the tournament or anything like that. It's just like tournament begins and then like the first fight is going on. And then there's, yeah, there's not really like a bracket or anything like that. It's not like a traditional tournament like we'd see nowadays. (laughs) So once the fighters are on the island, never mind why they would participate in the first place. But John, could you explain a little bit why Mr. Han, the big bad of the movie, why he puts it on at all? I don't know. I don't, honestly, I feel like he maybe said something. Oh, no, yeah, he was trying to expand his criminal empire, so he's just trying to get international fighters to come. Hey, sell drugs for in the U.S., I guess. Yeah, what does drug dealing have to do with fighting in a tournament? (laughs) I don't know. How did he get any of his wealth? I feel like they insinuated that he just karate chopped his way into a criminal empire. I thought he was uh, selling women on the side. Was he? He was a former monk, just like Bruce Lee's character, and then he used his monk teachings to start a criminal empire? What are they teaching at this monastery? I want that prequel to be made. I want to see how a monk turns bad. Breaking monk. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, what do you think is Super 70s about this movie? Um, Um, the treatment of the black character. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) give me a specific moment with what's his name jim kelly when the cops stop him and the cops are like there's no way you're going to hawaii buddy (laughs) (laughs) they have a little bit of backstory for a few of these fighters and jim kelly the one black character his backstory of what led him to the tournament is basically he had to escape the cops (laughs) (laughs) yeah pretty much That felt like the most realistic, just because the cops had no reason to even talk to him in the first place. They're like, ah, we're going to arrest him. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that cop that stops him, he's all bad news. (laughs) Yeah, it's the worst cop I ever saw. So I'd say that was definitely a big one. And then the other piece was the sound effects. The sound effects are just hysterical when you've got a kick and then it's bam, you know what I mean? Like, or smack, like every time there's a slap. It's like a whip. (laughs) Definitely very 70s. They hit you with the decade almost immediately because the opening credit sequence in this movie, doesn't the title come up and then immediately somebody does a martial arts scream? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's like, oh, I wonder what this is going to be about. And then that whole credit sequence, it's backed by that funky disco music that they had to put into everything back then. That's all they had. I can understand disco was popular, but disco doesn't belong in everything, and I'm surprised the producers didn't think about that. I feel like the issue was that nobody liked disco, so no one was copywriting it, so it was free. What were some of your favorite scenes or performances? The final fight is just such a classic scene. Tong Po, I forgot his real name. I looked it up too, and I feel bad. Uh, Oh, Bolo Young. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Because he was an actual badass. They built up the the henchman, or the bodyguard, and he got his ass kicked, like, immediately? That was a fun little surprise, who kicked his ass. But at the same time, it was like, what a waste of Bolo Young. Yeah. 
Doesn't the fight end by him just getting kicked in the nads? Yeah. Oh, what an embarrassment. He's had better days. <laughs> it almost looks like the way he uh, loses consciousness, it's like it was a killing blow. <laughs> That's what you do to bad guys in those times, is you kill them. <laughs> There's no good guy code yet. I forget, does he come back for the big brawl among the two sides at the end? Yeah, I think that's where he's done in. Did the two sides fighting come immediately after that? Yeah, that's when Bruce Lee showed up with all the prisoners. Yeah, he freed all the prisoners. Usually, I watch all the movies for the show within a couple days. I happened to watch Enter the Dragon about five days ago, and... As fun as it was to watch, I'm having a hard time remembering some of it. Pat, how about you? Did you have any other favorite scenes? I enjoyed the movie overall. I thought it was fun for what it was. The final fight was probably the best part of the movie. It was pretty neat. Well, then let's get into some criticisms. John, start us off. (laughs) If you have any. (laughs) No, the movie's perfect. Moving on. Um, Pat mentioned the sound earlier. The sound effects were an issue. Some of the voiceovers, every time like an old Asian man was speaking in that movie, it was like a clear voiceover that they didn't even care to put any effort into. <laughs> um, the treatment of Jim Kelly, not the former Buffalo Bills quarterback, but the actor. He got killed by just being slapped. He was slapped to death by the big bad because he had a surprise fake metal hand. <laughs> <laughs> Iron fist. Yeah, oh, jeez, whatever. I fit that was that was an open hand. That was not a close fit. <laughs> <laughs> for my money, one of the biggest criticisms I had for this movie. Why does Hollywood insist on this make believe that a big room full of mirrors is going to stack the deck against the hero? This and Conan the Destroyer make it look like mirrors on the wall are utterly confounding when anticipating an attack. It's not even a maze. Like, you're both standing in the middle of the room. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly! (laughs) I buy it more if the space has tight corridors, but it's large rooms and hallways that these guys are fighting in in this movie. All the hero has to do is look at the floor. Be like, aha, I see you approaching me with your three-dimensional feet. (laughs) I think it only works in movies because we, the audience, are watching it on a screen. Everything looks two-dimensional to us, so of course it confuses us, but it shouldn't confuse you when you're there. (laughs) John, I couldn't help but imagine this being a James Bond movie. You put Roger Moore in the John Saxon role, get Christopher Lee to play Mr. Han. Back then, it's the 70s, having the last name Lee was the same as being a real Asian. And you got a better The Man with the Golden Gun, which came out the following year. As a 007 fan, what do you think of that? I think the only ground you have to stand on here is that there's no slide whistle in Enter the Dragon. <laughs> Opposed to that car jump scene from Man with the Golden Gun. Maybe, maybe you're on to something. If it was a Bond film, they're definitely going to downplay... Uh, the martial arts are going to be terrible, because Roger Moore was not that great at fight choreography. <laughs> you make it a partnership movie... I'm not saying replace Bruce Lee. Keep him in, but bring in Roger Moore so he can look all suave but not actually have to do the action scenes. 
when those two groups are fighting at the end, that felt totally something like straight out of You Only Live Twice, this big bombastic scene with like a hundred people fighting. And did I miss something? The supposedly good guys, the prisoners that are fighting, are they supposed to have been martial artists? Or just all Asian people are good at martial arts? That's, I think, part of the exploitation of the movie is all Asian people are good at martial arts. I'm here to tell you emphatically that is not true. (laughs) (laughs) You're from what, New Hampshire? How many people did you see? How many Asian people did you see in New Hampshire? (laughs) Every time I look in the mirror, buddy. (laughs) So just the one is what you're telling me. And I go through a lot of mirrors because, you know, I have a lot of self-hatred issues. So I take out a hammer and immediately crack every mirror I see. No, no. Why aren't you better at martial arts? <laughs> it's, are you sure you're hitting the right one? It's, it's, mirrors can be confusing in those types of fights. <laughs> That's right. Am I the hero or the villain? I just don't know. <laughs> Before we move on, do you guys have anything else you'd like to say about Enter the Dragon? small little fun factoid here is that 19-year-old Jackie Chan is one of the prisoners. Oh. I think I did hear that story. He got punched in the face for real, and Bruce Lee's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to make up to you. You're going to have a starring role in my next movie. Ah, dead. (laughs) It worked out okay for Jackie Chan in the end. Let's take a moment and just have a general discussion. Pat, do you have any love for martial arts flicks in general? I have a great appreciation for the original three Karate Kid movies. In some ways, do you wish we had done one of those instead of sidekicks? <laughs> yeah. Gimmicky as those are, those are movies I saw in my childhood. So I probably appreciate more. With your background growing up in New York State, John, was there much martial arts going on? No, there wasn't a lot of martial arts going on. The only martial arts that occurred was in the movies. So you were watching a lot of those flicks as a kid? Oh, yeah. I mean, the only thing to do at my dad's house on weekends, because he only had, like, two channels on the TV, so it was just every Saturday night, here comes Walker, Texas Ranger. (laughs) Yeah. Did either of you guys take martial arts? No. No. Well, I did. Huh. And I only took it for a year, but in a boy's childhood, a year is a significant amount of time. Being in martial arts for that year, I was watching a lot of martial arts movies. This was the time of Mortal Kombat. You can bet I watched the hell out of that. That movie's great. Why didn't we do that one? (laughs) Nothing says we can't. Maybe we'll do it in a Paul Thomas Anderson episode. Oh, no. Along with Event Horizon. Uh, Oh, I forgot he did that movie. And Resident Evil. (laughs) I know, see? I'm talking you off a ledge. Pat, do you think ring-fighting movies are better as underground fight club flicks or legit sports plots? I'm thinking Lionheart and Mortal Kombat on one end, and then the other end of the spectrum, it's like Best of the Best and Rocky. (laughs) Rocky is so good. I mean, I love the Rocky movies. I'd say it's tough because Mortal Kombat's an excellent film as well. I haven't seen Lionheart, but uh, I like the idea of the battle to the death where the stakes are next level. Whereas Rocky, it's like you keep the world title. The stakes are definitely lower, it seems, but it's also the drama in those movies are built up very well. 
I'd vote for ring fighting movies as being better. Yeah, I think I like underground fighting better. Just because Mortal Kombat's a lot better than it actually should be. We'll talk about Kumite and how that may or may not even be underground fighting. (laughs) (laughs) It exists in a gray place. (laughs) I'm going to fall on the side of legitimate sports because... When it's an underground fight movie, I always have a hard time believing that all these scumbags wouldn't just immediately start killing each other. But because the plot needs to happen, they are willing to adhere to certain rules. But I can believe that more if it's actually real athletes participating in a sport. Let's take a break so I can thank everyone out there that's listening. You've hit play on the screen companion from Japan to France to Chile. Your support keeps this show going. We're on plenty of podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. Subscribe, comment, hit us up at thescreencompanion at gmail.com. If you want to help me, the host, specifically, pick up a copy of my sci-fi novel, Traversal, The Weight of Worlds, available on Amazon. And now, back to it. Let's move on to Bloodsport. This is a 1988 film. I almost feel like it should be my birth film, because I came out in 88 as well. (laughs) Both released in 88, classics. (laughs) So it's about Frank Dukes, who goes AWOL, in order to participate in the Kumite, a no-holds-barred, centuries-old fighting tournament held in Hong Kong. Having been trained as a boy by a Japanese master, he wishes to honor his sensei by taking down the reigning champ, the Korean beefcake, Chong Lee. Pat, what did the movie have you feeling immediately after it finished? I was confused. Throughout the entire film, I'm looking at this movie, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, it's just a whatever kind of fictional movie, whatever. <laughs> Stuff like this doesn't really happen, and it's just so dramatized. It's just beyond ridiculous is basically what I was feeling. And then, of course, you get to the very end clip, and it's like telling you how this is the true story, and this is, this is, these things actually happen, and this guy holds records that are still standing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I was kind of blown away by that. What was the first thing that had you scratching your head to the point where it almost bled? I would say when the tournament rules are explained, like, uh, there's three ways you can win. It's like, one is if the guy taps out. Two is if you knock him out of the ring, literally just knock him out of the ring. And then three is like, you can kill him. (laughs) That was the part where I was like, that's just like totally extreme. Like, you literally push the guy over the side, or you can just straight up beat him to death. (laughs) John, help me out. I feel like... One of the things Pat just mentioned, I didn't think they explicitly said a way to win is to kill them, but to just knock your opponent out. Not literally, but mentally. They accepted murder, though. They definitely accepted murder as a way to defeat. Well, Bolo Young just killed the guy, and they're just like, oh, what are we going to do? Turn our backs on him and let him keep going. Where do you think this lands? in Van Damme's library of performances. Oh, man. I think I would argue it's his best. It's going up against the likes of, like, Time Cop, so... And Universal Soldier, 
Universal Soldier's good, but as good as this? Universal Soldier's an ensemble cast, I would argue. Which I might argue is the best way to utilize Van Damme. Touché, sir. Acting-wise. <laughs> Acting-wise, yes, because the Muscles for Brussels is not the best English speaker. <laughs> Pat, are you a Van Damme fan? I do enjoy Van Damme, but I've also seen some of his more ridiculous movies as well, this now being amongst them. But no, I, I've enjoyed him. He's not a great actor, but he's always been fun. I like Van Damme, but I feel like this movie belongs smack dab in the middle. He gets to play charming, badass, he gets a few emotional beats in there, but this is the litmus test that all his other performances should be graded against. So it's either going to be worse than this, or he does have some better acting moments in other movies. This is where you should start with Van Damme. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. What do you think is his best movie, Frank? It might be Double Impact. He literally fights side by side with his twin. If you're looking at it from an acting standpoint, what's better than being able to play, supposedly, two different people? Although really it's just a costume change, but, you know, he does a little different in his acting. John, what stood out to you about the martial arts in this? It was just a little more realistic than some of the other movies that, like, glorify martial arts. They put, like, a more brutal spin on it. This is dangerous. You can hurt each other. Don't tell anyone about this super secret martial arts tournament. Yeah, the precursor to the UFC. <laughs> yep, right. <laughs> How about for you, Pat? Did anything stand out to you about the martial arts? It was funny. It was the tournament itself featured the various arrays. You know, you got the guy who played Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds movies, and he's not really a martial artist, just a big man. And then you've got the true martial artist in Van Damme practicing his style of martial arts. Then you got Bolo Young, who just beat somebody to death. <laughs> this being 2023, where the UFC does exist, and we are able to see a lot more examples of real tournament fighting, I think it's hard to forgive the lack of more on-the-mat grappling. There's so many beauty shots of the fighters in this movie. Van Damme with his wide-open kicks and punches. It's very cinematic, but half the time I'm watching the fight choreography, and I'm thinking, if somebody actually kicked that way, his opponent could just grab his leg and take him to the ground and submit him. Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu specifically, that I don't think was as prominent back then. The Gracies definitely brought that to mixed martial arts fighting. I think if you watch like UFCs 1 and 2, it's just dudes beating the snot out of each other and they all have different styles. I don't think it lasted long in the UFC's career, but it definitely started with uh, everybody had a different style. And now, now everybody is working on the ground game, working on their punch game. I kind of liked how, in this one compared to Enter the Dragon, there is a referee played by... Lou Gossett Jr.'s younger brother. <laughs> Is that who that was? <laughs> <laughs> no. Ah! <laughs> they had tournament officials. It felt like it existed as opposed to Mr. Han's tournament in Enter the Dragon, which just barely held together. But this, you know, they actually had a stage. They had some weird, arbitrary qualifying events that reminded me of... Those moments in Street Fighter 2, the arcade, where you're hitting a car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, if you want to participate, Van Damme, I need you to break this car in under one minute. 
or else you'll have to put in a couple more quarters. And that poor guy just left his car there. Was that another participant? or? <laughs> John, what do you think is super 80s about this movie? Ah, oh, the fashion. The fashion always hits. I think Ogre at one point had a fanny pack on. Uh, <laughs> it's impossible to watch an 80s movie and not just look at the way they're dressed and be like, oh, this is an 80s movie. I can't do this right now. Hey, the fanny pack came back, man. Just talk to The Rock. <laughs> uh, no, I'll pass. <laughs> I think the score is one of the best of this decade. I feel like it enhances scenes. It's perfect to listen to on its own. I've listened to it on a treadmill. Except for one scene where the soundtrack didn't make sense to me and is a little weird. The two government guys are trying to arrest Van Damme. That chase sequence, it had like this new wave adult lounge music quality. John, do you remember it? It sounded like Hearts on Fire. It sounded like the Rocky Four song, but it wasn't the Rocky Four song. It was like almost technically techno-ish. I understand it's supposed to be a lighthearted, fun scene. He's getting the better of these two guys, one of them played by a young Forrest Whitaker. That song didn't hit me the right way, the way the music did during the fight scenes. So I want to re-edit of this. Change that song, please. <laughs> <laughs> Funny we mentioned Rocky IV. Frank Dukes, in the movie, he's, I guess he's Belgian-American. Like, he's not born and bred American, which I like that they explained Van Damme's accent. <laughs> so you got Frank Dukes representing the West. He's the outsider. He comes in and proves America is the best, even in an ages-old Asian martial arts tournament. We are the best. <laughs> <laughs> so Rocky was fighting the uh, Russians. Van Damme was fighting the Asians. Gotta put them down. Put down that communism. <laughs> but this was in Hong Kong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was still under British rule, too, I think, at that point. So, Pat, do you have any favorite scenes or performances? When he defeats Bolo with the nut shot, which is the second movie in which Bolo gets a nut shot. <laughs> the splits, and then he... <laughs> For the win. What's up with the choreographer going, you know how we button this scene? How this big bad needs to be dealt with? A nut shot. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's the great equalizer. John, how about for you? Any favorite moments? Ogre. He clearly got a concussion at the end of the movie. The first thing he does when he wakes up is crack a beer. I just thought it was just hysterical having Ogre in that movie. I was not expecting to see Ogre from Revenge of the <laughs> there. And I think he's just such a terrible actor. It's just fantastic. Like, he's just over the top. And him befriending Van Damme for no reason, that friendship didn't make a lot of sense to me. Oh, yeah, I just saw another white guy in a bus. He's just like, we're best friends now because I made this woman uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little uh, strange. Except for the Kumite handler, Van Damme's interactions with other people, they're either all white slash American, or he mixes it up with foreigners, where the foreigners are always the bad guy. 
I don't know if the movie was commenting on anything or why they made that choice. I feel like it would have been nice to have a few more Hong Kong characters to interact with. I don't know. I love Bolo Young in this. I love how Bolo does so much with so little. Like, the villain isn't really even there in the script. Bolo makes it all in the performance. You watch him enter the dragon. He's making those crazy rictus faces. And then in Bloodsport, he's just amping that up to 120%, where he really looks like a sadist. Just the way he pumps his fists after he wins, and they're screaming Chong Lee at him. I'm surprised, being a kid, that I didn't start parroting that and just start pumping my fists after every win. <laughs> There's a definite like professional wrestling persona there. He's all about the tournament, he's getting the crowd into it. Now, let's get into some criticisms. It's a beautiful film, but there are perhaps some parts where they could have done better. Pat, do you have any criticisms that you have yet to share? I have a few, but I saved one specifically for this question. That has to be the reporter. (laughs) First of all, this underground tournament that's got to be the worst kept secret in Hong Kong because everybody knows about it. (laughs) And then you've got this reporter who's like, you know, I'm here to talk about this tournament. And obviously nobody wants to talk to her because she's like going around telling everybody that she's a reporter. And then she gets into the tournament. Like after she basically asked Van Dyke, can you give me the tournament? He says, no, I can't. She's like, "Ah, that's okay. It's like, okay, she just gave up. And then like you see her at the tournament. And she's very loudly, hey, guess what? I'm undercover. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like everything about it is just ridiculous. We can look at her character from different angles that just don't work. Let's start with the actual professional reporter part of her character. So at one point, she wants to stop the Kumite. <laughs> As a reporter... Are you really supposed to go in there and try to affect events that much? You're there to report on it. You can't do that if you stop it. <laughs> it's just this is all credibility. What's that report going to look like written down? It'd be like, <laughs> in my time, I stopped it, so I don't have anything. <laughs> She's going to get fired fast. It's like an NFL reporter coming in and then like, just stop the game. Based on her performance in this, I think she's a German reporter. Nobody actually hired her for this story. (laughs) Trying to get her first gig. And on a personal level, when she decides it's too dangerous, she's too into Van Damme, she doesn't want him to fight, he could get hurt, and she goes and snitches on him to the police. Which, like Pat mentioned, everybody already knows about the Kumite. You'd feel like she's such a crack shot reporter, she would already know that everybody already knows about it, so why go to the cops? But that felt like such a betrayal. Frank is there to honor his sensei, and you have all these people participating for various reasons, and she's just like, no, I don't want you guys to do it, so you should stop. The only female in the movie, and she's portrayed like that. (laughs) (laughs) And it was jarring, too, because. You have that scene where she goes to the cops, and then the next time we see her, not only is she back at the Kumite for the finals, she's also smiling at Van Damme. (laughs) That's an editing issue. We need another scene from where she was ready to sell them all up the river, and now she's okay with it again? What changed? I don't get it. That's a good question. John, did you notice that change in her character? No, because she's so poorly portrayed, I think. Well, and this is not a long movie. 
No, it's not. It's super quick. It's like an hour and a half. Which I think helps it with all its plot holes. It goes too fast for you to really think about it. Yeah, because it's like, by the time you're like, wait, is that a... Oh no, there's another one to think about. (laughs) It's only in the 20th viewing, like I just did, where you actually start to pick it apart. (laughs) I think the only thing I kept getting hung up on is all the problems with this secret tournament. Beginning of the movie, there's like little kids on the playground are like, well, if I compete in Kumite, my dad will love me. (laughs) Is it just supposed to be a secret? Why are little kids on playgrounds talking about it? And then like, you get there and the judges are like, and we'd like to thank our official sponsor, some international corporation doing official co-sponsorship for the thing. Super secret tournament, huh? I know, I caught that too. That was so weird. It's like, we'd like to thank UNICEF for joining us in this endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> there's like, reporters, obviously there's the real reporter. I'm sure there's other reporters there. They had official commentators and everything, too. In its defense, if you have this kumite that's been around for hundreds of years, started as a really small, secret thing, in the information age, eventually it's going to be too difficult to keep things a secret. My criticism for it We don't get enough from the G-Men subplot. If they were just cut from the flick, then we could have gotten some more character development. Maybe one scene with Chong Lee outside of the Kumite. He is a total enigma. We have no idea what he's really about. Yeah, he could be, like, into Pokemon or something. (laughs) Now, I didn't look this up. Therefore, I'm going to claim through ignorance that I am the first one to come up with this theory. Okay, imagine it the next time you watch this. Maybe not you, Pat, but John, (laughs) the next time you watch this movie. I want you to think of it as a gay love triangle between the bisexual Frank and the gay Ray and Chong Lee. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Just hear me out. Uh, uh. Why are these characters gay? Here we go. Frank's underwear in that one scene after he's just bedded the reporter. Super gay. That definitely was made to fit his bottom. Like, that was custom. <laughs> that was a custom pair of undie pants. I don't care if those are custom made. I do not want to wear underwear like that. <laughs> yeah. Can I have freedom? That's not freedom. That's... I don't know what that is. And then Ray Jackson, the other American in the movie, he's a biker bear, okay? <laughs> and then Chong Lee that one scene you got chong lee's corner man he reaches for the dude's waistband and chong lee doesn't react at all he doesn't even flinch why he's used to it the relationship goes deeper than we realize okay so that's setting the stage now let's look at some of the scenes again through this lens (laughs) you got frank and ray playing an arcade game together that looks like a meat cute to me Later on, Ray comes into Frank's unlocked hotel room to tell him they need to get on the bus and go to the Kumite. Why was it unlocked? Because he had spent the night. He just stepped out for a second. He came back in to let him know, hey, we need to go. Why does Ray want Chong Lee's attention so badly? Why does he keep calling him out during the competition? Why is Frank so upset when Chong Lee beats up Ray? Sure, it could be for the reasons that seem to be stated in the movie, but I would also argue maybe it's a gay subtext. Now, in the scene at the hospital at the end, Frank kisses Ray goodbye. 
They've known each other for less than a week. When does a straight male friendship get to that stage in so short a time? You guys are out of your minds. I'll drink to that. <laughs> By the way, next time you fight, try to keep your clothes on. Anytime, any place, anywhere, if you ever need me, I'll be there. I love you, my friend. Me too. It's a good thing the female reporter was there, or those two would have done more than kiss on the forehead. <laughs> he was still attached to the heart monitor, too, so that probably would have freaked out the nurses in the hall. Be like, ah, he's spiky! We gotta get in there! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and finally, why are the G-Men really there to arrest Frank? Let's remember that this was during a time of don't ask, don't tell. Frank has to answer for his love crimes. You think Ray was the first? The army has many more showers than what we saw at the beginning of this movie. I rest my case. Love crimes. Oh, love crimes. Bring that up in court. <laughs> Your Honor, this man is guilty of love crimes. Like, oh, what do we need to lock him up with other men? I don't know. Of course, I'm kidding a little bit, but John, tell me it's possible that there is that gay subtext there. I think that it's currently impossible to see it any other way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sir. In some ways, I feel like it makes it a better movie. I'll take it one step further. I'll say if this movie was remade today's day and age, that would be part of the plot. Do you guys have anything else to say about Bloodsport before we move on? I don't know if you guys are aware, but Van Damme plays the character Frank Dukes, who is a real individual. So this movie is supposed to be based off of reality. Turns out that Frank Dukes is a perpetual liar. He is claimed to have won the Medal of Honor, claims to have fought in Vietnam, even though he joined the military after Vietnam War was over. He claims to have fought in the Kumite and set those records. There's no proof that the Kumite tournament like that ever existed. No proof that he ever fought in anything like that. The only place those claims came from are from him. It's not like there's a record book that has those records in it that are claimed at the end of the movie. Sounds like it's all completely made up and that he's been completely horribly discredited over the years because he is just a pathological liar. This might be an example of 80s cocaine-fueled production going on. They were at a party with this guy, heard that story, and we were like, we don't need to fact-check that at all. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> Buying this movie. <laughs> Pretty much. On the next Blu-ray edition of this, take out the text at the end. That would really make this movie better without doing much. You mean when they do the Criterion Collection? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so Bolo Young, he was also in Enter the Dragon. Did you guys recognize the other guy that's in both of these movies? No. I missed it. The guy that played Van Damme Sensei also played Bruce Lee Sensei in Enter the Dragon. I was like, I know that face from something else. So moving on to the creme de la creme. 1992's Sidekicks. Sidekicks is about a young boy with asthma because he can't participate physically in a lot of things, often daydreams about being best friends with Chuck Norris. 
That's like his defining trait. They should just call him Asthma Boy. They might as well. I mean, the only reason I remember Barry is because Chuck Norris calls him Barry in every weird daydream. Some of them racist daydreams. (laughs) (laughs) And then he learns martial arts and gets to meet Chuck Norris. I'm so good at these. Yeah, that's really it in a nutshell. It is, it is, and I'm so good at summarizing movies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Pat, now... I want you to give me your viewer pulse at these different times during the movie as you were watching it. I want you to tell me how you felt after the first scene in the movie, then the halfway point, and then what you felt at the very end. (laughs) It's tough for me. It's a kid's movie. It's definitely meant for younger viewers. And I think I would have a much better appreciation for this film had I seen it when I was 10. That being said, I didn't see it when I was 10. I saw it in my late 30s. (laughs) So at the beginning of the film, it's like, yeah, you start off with this weird daydream where he's sleeping in class, but he's daydreaming about hanging out with him and Chuck Norris or like saving a woman from a bunch of other ninjas. We're off the walls already, like scene one, check, it's going to be a bizarre movie. And then I would say halfway point, I was thinking is probably with the rope climbing scene, probably. So you're like, okay, kid's getting a little bit better, but it's still really bizarre because we've got, like, crazy guy giving him, like, funky tea. Just like, here, just drink this, and, like, now you're going to run to school. And then he's also got, like, kind of a weird friendship with the Chinese guy, too. Cue to the end when now we've met Chuck Norris. Not only have we met Chuck Norris, but he's decided to compete with us on our karate team. We're sitting on the park bench at the very end, and he looks back, and Chuck Norris has just magically vanished. And then there's, like, some kid that sees, like, a Chuck Norris magazine, and it's, like, inspiration for sidekicks, too, and and scene right there. I was definitely confused. I don't know if I summarized this enough for you. It was definitely confusing throughout. Work of art. Let's start at the end or work our way back. You mentioned the end. Did it strike a positive note for you at all, this idea that this kid in a wheelchair, he looks at the Chuck Norris magazine, and we figure he's inspired? Or did that just totally ring false for you? And you're like, ah, get this crap out of here. (laughs) It was very gimmicky at the end. At that point in time, I think we were kind of painting Chuck Norris to be this super angel, this angelic character, if you will. I think that was just icing on the cake of that framing at the very end. (laughs) This came out in 92. We were all kids back then. I don't envy you having watched this for the first time as an adult. But at the same time, I did enjoy Sidekicks as a kid, again, when I was doing martial arts. But I haven't actually seen the movie in like 20 years. And I barely remembered the movie at all. So I felt like this was a rare case where I could really separate myself from the nostalgia and try to approach it as just a fresh watch. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie or maybe even a good movie. I did enjoy it. John, you had seen this back in the 90s, right? Yeah. On this spectrum of Pat having never seen it and come to it as an adult, me having seen it, but it's almost inconsequential, where does it fall for you in terms of the nostalgia? I think I definitely liked it better this time. I remember watching it as a kid. These are all made-up scenarios. I wanted, like, real action and danger, not that heartfelt stuff. Which, fun fact, the old sensei, Mako, plays Uncle Iroh in Avatar, if you like that show. 
Mako's a treat in whatever he's in. Yes. <laughs> like, I definitely remember more than I probably should have <laughs> rewatching it. And John, how do you think this compares to other 90s kids' sports flicks? Probably lower on the list. <laughs> what do you think it's missing? A more serious tone, probably. It can be a bit hokey. A lot. Hold right there for a sec. Do you feel like Little Giants is a better movie? Uh, yes. Now, based on what you just said, though, Little Giants is so slapsticky and silly, it's hard to take that movie seriously. So how do you reconcile that? It's a comedy first, but it's also a uh, sports movie. This is supposed to be, I think, an action a martial arts movie first, maybe? What is Sidekicks trying to be first? What would you think? I think it's a parody first, which is why, why you have that strange dichotomy. It's written for kids, but the references you don't really appreciate unless you're an adult. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons the movie doesn't quite work. Oh, it was definitely like a, I called it a Red Dragon reference, but at that time it would have been a Manhunter reference. In one of the fever dreams, they tie him to a chair and roll him down the gangway, and he explodes. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. You're right. <laughs> yeah, it was straight out of Manhunter. <laughs> oh, man. In terms of 90s kids sports movies, it surprised me that there didn't seem to be any potty humor in this movie. Yeah, I don't remember seeing any potty humor. I don't think so. How well do you think this movie uses the fantasy sequences? I didn't necessarily like fantasy sequences. I would say they were actually more detrimental to the movie. All you've got is you've got this kid who's getting made fun of at school because he's asthmatic, but it's like he's not getting made fun of because he's asthmatic. He's getting made fun of because he's narcoleptic daydreamer. He's daydreaming <laughs> and then he wakes up screaming Chuck Norris's name. If you cut those parts out of the movie, he's just a kid with asthma. It's like you're probably not going to make fun of the kid as much. Then you got the rope climbing scene where Chuck Norris encourages him to go up the rope. So I think that was done better. But the daydreaming scenes, I could have done without. Wow. Now, John, fantasies aside, how silly do you think the plot is? It's pretty standard kid's plot. It's the plot of Karate Kid, right? He finds the old Asian dude to teach him karate, and then he does well at a tournament. Yeah, except it's missing that William Zabka magic. Oh, for sure. This movie, I think, was directed by, I want to say, Chuck Norris's brother. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a sec. Are you saying this was just some big commercial for Chuck Norris? <laughs> uh, no, I would never, I'd never uh, say it was nepotism. I don't think it ever goes really into the cartoon territory when it's the straight scenes. As for the fantasies, I feel like they could have played more into the progression of the narrative. We only get two instances of it. Once when Barry wins over the girl, was she uh, Winnie? Yeah, that's Winnie. Yeah. It's, uh, Danica McKellar? Danica McKellar, yeah, that's right. In one fantasy, after Barry's won over the girl, she ends up replacing the teacher as the fantasy damsel in distress. I like that actress that played Miss Chen, but it was kind of weird that she appeared in all his fantasies. That's true. So that felt like a progression. It's giving us an insight into his psyche. And then the other moment, which actually felt more dramatic than anything else, was when Barry is being tortured in a fantasy, he can't breathe, 
And then the drama snaps in with reality when it cuts to him in an ambulance having an asthma attack and his dad's there consoling him. That was just so impactful, and I wish there were more fantasies like that that really showed you what's going on in this kid's life besides just his goofy daydreaming. I'll agree with that. The coach was the bad guy in that scene. (laughs) Bull. I'm just going to call him Bull from Night Court. Yeah, played by uh, Richard Mull. Yeah. Looked like Colonel Clink. If (laughs) (laughs) your parents ever showed you old Hogan's Heroes. My dad loves Hogan's Heroes, and yet I know nothing. (laughs) I know nothing. (laughs) Pat, did anything about the martial arts in this movie stand out to you? And let's say in the fantasies versus in real life. There was a mix of martial arts, because I remember one of the fantasies, him and Jack Norris with machine guns just blowing dudes away. (laughs) Which also, if this is a martial arts movie, why is that necessary? Because it perfectly follows Chuck Norris's career. That's straight out of one of his movies. I feel like if this movie was lacking one thing, it was a good training montage. They have a few training montages, but there's really not much going on in them, except for a nice shot of a waterfall and some steps. Yeah. Not really very funny or engaging. Most of them were uh, the kid hitting himself with the nunchucks. It's weird that for a movie where the main character holds martial arts in such high esteem, in the fantasies, the martial arts are so goofy and lambasted. In that opening scene, there is a gratuitous amount of flipping, and it's funny, but it's also really making fun of it. I'm going to argue that's really good storytelling and that he doesn't understand what martial arts is. <laughs> 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 That's a solid argument. You just made the movie a little bit better, but I don't think they intended it that way. No, they definitely did not. <laughs> what decade do you think Chucky fits into the best? Is he an 80s guy or 90s guy? <sighs> I want to say he's an 80s guy. 80s action movie, you went for the star. It didn't matter the plot. Just like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you went. New Jean-Claude Van Damme movies out. Let's go. New Stallone movies out. New Schwarzenegger. I think he fits best in the 80s. The plot isn't that important as long as he's in it. I don't think I really had any basis for Chuck Norris's stardom outside of this movie. If he is an 80s anachronism, Pat, what do you feel is super 90s about this movie? Oh, it's got to be the Daydreams, the narrative device. Let's see, just kind of the slapsticky nature of it was definitely early 90s kids movie. I think of like uh, Three Ninjas as another martial arts kids movie. That's a movie I did enjoy as a kid, but I haven't seen that in forever. But I remember it being very slapsticky. I think slapsticky is perfect. Every time someone's about to fall, they have to have that uh, noise for some reason. (laughs) That's too much. That's slapsticky kid stuff. Wait a second, I saw some kids take a tumble in middle school. They were going, left and right. (laughs) (laughs) Every day, because I was pushing them. When they were being checked out by the nurse, the nurse is like, well, how bad was the fall? Did you go, (laughs) (laughs) If you didn't make the noise, you didn't fall that hard, son. You know, medicine was just really different back then. (laughs) (laughs) It was a different time. What I noticed felt really 90s. There's a looseness to the school scenes that feels very of its time. 
You got the flagrant bullying, teachers dating parents, gym teachers yelling at students, the fact that Barry flat out hallucinates regularly at school, but no one's suggesting to put him on medication. I don't feel like any of that would fly in 2023. <laughs> uh, John, was that a happy sigh? That was a happy sigh. You were going back in time. All <laughs> 90s bullying. Good times. All 90s movies had a, this is the worst it's going to get and everything's bad all the time feel to them. As much as we're making fun of it, John, please tell me you had a favorite scene or performance. I did like how out of left field some of the hallucinations were. Uh, daydreams, <laughs> whatever you want to call them. I like to call them fever dreams. The wackiness made sense in those contexts. I'm like, yeah, he's daydreaming. He doesn't understand real martial arts. I like that Chuck Norris came in and was mean to Joe Piscopo. That really worked <laughs> for me. I don't know why. Joe Piscopo plays the instructor at a dojo that Barry wants to train at, but then they realize it's Joe Piscopo and he's a jerk. This idea that this kid, he's a loner, and he just wants to be Chuck Norris' sidekick. That felt like one of the tiny little emotional threads, at least in the beginning. All this goofy stuff's happening, but at the heart of it, even as an adult, I can identify with that feeling of, look at this guy that I hold in such high regard, and how cool would it be to hang out with your favorite movie star? I feel like I thought about a lot as a kid what it'd be like to be a diehard too, because that came out, I think, at some point when I was a kid. And it was just like, I wouldn't be able to shoot guns or swear. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, could you imagine that? And you don't get the version of Bruce Willis that you want. It's that version where he's the musician and he keeps playing in the background. <laughs> where he's Bruno. That's it, Bruno. Yeah, it's Bruno instead. You're like, oh, this is not what I signed up for. Bruno, shut the hell up. I'm trying to go to bed. <laughs> he's Hudson Hawk. That'd be awful, too. Pat, should I even ask you if you had any favorite moments? <laughs> I thought the rope climbing scene was good when he actually climbs to the top of the rope. I thought that was neat and Chuck Norris is helping him. That was probably the highlight for me. Wasn't it a missed opportunity when he climbs to the top to have him fall down the wrong way and get rope burn? <laughs> I think that's definitely a missed opportunity for sure. My favorite moment, and it's a weird meta moment, this is after the scene where we've met Joe Piscopo. The second fantasy in the jungle, literally I busted out laughing before it even really started, because I remembered Joe Piscopo playing Vietnamese. That's what I was <laughs> saving for my complaints. Fair enough, but this is the best moments section. <laughs> and for me, I actually took a moment and seriously, I paused it, because I hadn't thought of this movie since I was a kid. I laughed at that back then, and I laughed at it now. I guess not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like just a pure comedy moment because Joe Piscopo, I don't think I've ever seen anything he's been in where he's not full Joe. He's giving it his all. So you want to learn karate, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yes, sir. Now your uh, father here tells me all you think about is this uh, art, this craft that has taken me years, years to master. 
could you wheeze a little quieter, kid? I'm trying to talk here. Hey, you must be pretty good to uh, win all this stuff. Well, I don't like to brag or anything. Yeah, I bet you're almost as good as uh, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris? Chuck Norris? He doesn't compete anymore, kid. And one of the reasons, one of the main reasons he doesn't is me. You can get a really good idea of his performance just from the way he says lines. Uh, yeah. Okay, so now that I've had my fun, John and Pat, let's get into the criticisms. John, you're practically bursting at the seams. Let's start with you. Barry's racist. <laughs> it was funny how the cast was the same in every fantasy. Except his dad never got in any of the fantasies. I thought that was weird. Yeah, you're right. You got Bo Bridges in this movie. Use him. Yeah, you have A Bridges. Probably not the one you wanted, but you have A Bridges. <laughs> Damn, you're so harsh. Watching the opening credits, like, it's an all-star cast. And then it's all like Bo Bridges and Aaron Norris. And it's just like, it's the brothers of an all-star cast. <laughs> Barry's racist. <laughs> I'm not going to drop that. He had poor Joe Piscopo in yellow face. I'll give the floor because I'm sure Pat needs the next 20 minutes. The <laughs> <laughs> arc left of daydreaming was probably my biggest complaint. And then there's the one scene in the tournament when uh, Chuck Norris kicks the guy and he's about to fall off the edge and Chuck Norris saves him. Because Chuck Norris is a stand-up guy. Doesn't punch him in the face. It was a cheat, right? It's kind of like a freebie. You're going to win one of the categories because you got Chuck Norris on your team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Moving on to TLDL, Too Long, Didn't Listen. I'm going to ask you guys some questions. I want some nice, short answers. Pat, which movie do you think best encapsulates the decade in which it was made? Bloodsport. John, if you were forced to say one of these movies had anti-Asian slash white supremacist subtext, which one would you call out? Oh, wow. Going sidekicks. Pat, choose one of these statements, please. Sidekicks is worth watching as an adult, worth putting on for kids today, or only to be watched by kids in 1992? I would say worth putting on for kids today. I would love to watch some kids watch that movie and gauge their reactions. I'd be worried their reaction would be directed at you once the movie's over. Uncle Pat, why'd you make me watch this crap? <laughs> <laughs> Not cool, man. Like I said, I had fun with sidekicks. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, John. If Bloodsport is shown as part of a retrospective, does it best represent 80s films, the martial arts subgenre, or Jean-Claude Van Damme's career? Is there an all-of-the-above option? For this question, let's stick with one. What would you buy a ticket to? Let's go martial arts. There's some worse Jean-Claude movies that I'd love to show people. <laughs> Pat, which movie surprised you the most, but in a good way? Enter the Dragon. John, what's more of a cult of personality, 
sidekick's portrayal of Chuck Norris, or Arnold Schwarzenegger in Last Action Hero? Oh, oh how dare you, Fred? <laughs> I knew it. I knew I'd get you with that. <laughs> I'm just going to say Last Action Hero so I get some love. Because I feel like this is a juicy question. Let me take a second. Pat, do you agree with him? Yeah, I do. Last Action Hero, the only time Arnold shows up as himself, he only shows up to be a celebrity. And then the rest of the time is basically his every character he represents on screen being unkillable. Whereas sidekicks, those are all just fantasies of the kid. And the real Chuck Norris is humble, even though he does beat the crap out of Joe Piscopo. (laughs) (laughs) Final segment of the show. We're going to play the Screen Companion game show, Bruce Lee or Michael Jackson. I have various sound clips here that were either taken from something with Bruce Lee or Michael Jackson, either a movie, a music video, etc., etc. So let's start with clip one. Uh. <laughs> I'm going Bruce Lee. I'm going to say Michael Jackson. That is Bruce Lee. Ah. Sounded like an animal in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Clip two. Huh. I'll let you go first on that one, sir. I think that's Michael Jackson from the movie Moonwalker with Joe Pesci. I was going to guess Michael Jackson as well, but I've never seen the movie Moonwalker. Yes, that is Michael Jackson. And I took that from the intro to the music video, Bad. It's when he snaps at the end right before he goes into singing. Clip three. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm thinking MJ again on that one. Yeah, I gotta go. I go Michael Jackson. Yes, and that's from Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Clip four. The hell was that? (laughs) I'm going uh, Bruce Lee. Yeah, that's definitely Bruce Lee. (laughs) Yes, that's Bruce Lee. Clip five. Tennis? Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> I think that was Bruce Lee. I'm gonna go MJ. Ooh, that was Bruce Lee. You guys are tied four to four. Clip six. <laughs> MJ. That's MJ. That's absolutely MJ. Correct. And I took that one from Smooth Criminal. Final clip. That sounds like it's supposed to be Bruce Lee, but it could also be MJ doing some dancing stuff. You know what I mean? If you go either way. I would say Bruce Lee. I'm going to go MJ for the win. And the correct answer is Michael Jackson. Yes! (laughs) 
And that is from the dance interlude in Black or White, the music video. (laughs) (laughs) It was so fun to find these clips, especially this one. I was listening to it like, actually, that does kind of sound like an action scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just him dancing in an alley. (laughs) So there you go, Pat. One point, but you pulled it out for the win. Congratulations. I got lucky. John, any final words? I just got to keep saying Barry's racist.